listening to another edition of the Business of Fun podcast. I'm your host, Dave Wakeman. Today's episode is brought to you by my friends at Booking Protect, the global leader in refund protection. Any booking, any sector, anywhere, Booking Protect has you covered. To find out how your organization can offer your customers a better buying experience, more peace of mind in their purchases, and how you can potentially create a new revenue stream for your, for your organization, visit www.bookingprotect.com. Again, Booking Protect, the worldwide leader in refund protection. Find out more at www.bookingprotect.com. My guest today is a guy by the name of Richard Howe. And Richard's a very good friend of mine, and he works with the Ticket Factory, based in Birmingham, uh, UK. Um, he is one of the people I consider a real rock star in the world of tickets, especially in the in Europe. Um, I have been wanting to have Richard on the podcast for a while, um, mainly, you know, because number one, he's my friend, but number two, um, I just really thought he would have some really great insights and some ideas that would you be able to learn from no matter where you're coming from. Uh, U.S. or Canada, uh, Europe, uh, Australia, wherever. Because, uh, I mean, he's really, really sharp as far as thinking through pricing, um, paying attention to the customer, um, focusing on people, right? And I know that a lot of times I focus on the people a great deal. Um, so I always look to have those kind of conversations just because I don't think we can emphasize the people enough. Uh, in our conversation, Richard and I cover uh, a great deal of stuff. We talk about the, what the future of tickets looks like. We talk about the changing role of ticket agents. Um, we talk about the need to um, emphasize and strengthen your marketing, changing the way you think about the ticket selling prices uh, process. I mean, finding people beyond your normal markets, um, you know, what some of the challenges are and why it's a big challenge that the ticket industry seems to be f- focused on making it easy for people in tickets, not easy for people who are buying tickets, which is a real problem. We talk a little bit about staff development. We talk about some of the um, crowding in the market. We talk about the secondary market. We talk about, um, you know, balancing between pricing and customer development. I mean, we, we covered a just an incredible amount of stuff in, you know, in this podcast. And I think that if you haven't had a chance to hear Richard talk about these things before, it's going to be really uh, enlightening for you. And if you do know Richard, then you'll just dig it. So here's my conversation with Richard Howe on episode 33 of the Business of Fun podcast. I want to welcome Richard Howe to the Business of Fun podcast. Richard, what's happening? Hey, how you doing, Dave? <laughs> That's <Unreal>. gonna, <laughs> this is going to be awesome. I feel like this is one of the podcasts that I have been waiting to do uh, since I started this thing. So this is going to be fun. Um, I hopefully we're going to entertain people, and it's going to we're going to have a, learn a little bit because that's usually how I judge this thing. <laughs> um, so I want to start out with you because before we got on this podcast, um, I sent out on Twitter a. Um, and people asking for questions and one of the people and I don't have it in front of me was asking about what you wanted what you thought about the future of the tickets uh, ecosystem and I think this opens up a lot of the, the stuff that I wanted to talk about in general but but what do you see um, as the future of buying and selling tickets in the UK and you know what do you see as the role of you know ticket agents and licensed ticket people and the people who are involved in star and um, you know the internet and is it all going to be all internet or is it going to be still room for people well, you know, it's a really interesting question because it's it's something that we've been talking a lot about internally, about actually the, the changing role of ticket agents. You know, before, you know, uh, an event organizer, a rights owner, 
they had no way of reaching uh, their customers and they needed ticket agents to do that. And actually nowadays, you know, as the internet grows and is stronger and ticket systems become simpler and more accessible, actually if I'm an event organizer or a rights owner, I can set up my own ticketing system. Uh, I can communicate to my fans on my own. I can go onto Facebook or Twitter. Uh, I've got their email addresses. They've subscribed to my newsletters. And I know who my fans are, and it's much easier for me to get to them. So why do I need a ticket agent to sell tickets for me? Well, you know, there are a number of reasons why you'd want a ticket agent to do that. But it means that ticket agents are going to have to slightly change the way they think rather than providing the full service of getting their tickets. It's actually how can we support that rights owner in doing what they do? You know, I've got 70 people uh, working for uh, at at the ticket factory. Uh, right, so owner isn't going to have that many people working on ticketing. Ticketing is a labor-heavy business still. There's a lot of manual process. So actually, what are the support services we can provide? You know, customer service lines, fulfillment of tickets. Uh, but then also, what are the marketing opportunities that we can bring to that? So I'm an event or I'm an event organizer or a rights owner, and I can communicate to the customers that know me and know about me. But how do I extend my reach beyond that? How do I find people who... Uh, who like me, uh, who who might like me, who are a bit similar to me. And actually, that's where the role of the ticket agent can come in. Actually, we know people uh, who, who, who bought this product may also like this product. So let's try and reach those as well. So it's a really changing world. The rights owners are, are having much more ownership, quite rightly, of their product. They can go out more directly, uh, but they're still going to need the support of the market. And, you know, uh, and in terms of technology, well, it's a question that everyone always asks, you know, you know, what's the future of technology? And, and if we all knew the answer to that, we'd be, we'd be doing it and making our millions. Uh, but obviously, you know, mobile is, is where it's going to go. And uh, I think biometrics are going to be really, really important as well going forward. Yeah, it, it's interesting because like a lot of what I talk about to people a lot um, about a lot of times is I talk about people. Right. And what it sounds like to to from what your answer was, is that the, the role of the agents is not going to be necessarily just a point of purchase because that is handled very well by the Internet. It is right. to do the job that only humans can do, which is building relationships, um, understanding the needs of a customer base, um, expanding the ability for a product or a series of a group of products to reach an audience that they couldn't otherwise. Right. So it's really not necessarily just to do the functional selling. It's actually to be um, extending as a marketing partner. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. A marketing and customer service partner. You know, um, you know, it's people still think people think, well, everyone just books tickets on the uh, online. Do you know what most of them do? But actually, how many times do they have a problem and they want to call someone? Or they do the live chat or stuff like that. Live chat, even though you can automate that kind of stuff, you still need a human. You still need a human face, and people, and people like to ring up and they like to talk and they like to say, do you know, well, what's the nearest bus stop? And where, you know, I'm coming from so and so. How do I get there? And you want local people who actually understand. They they work in that venue and they know where the way to get it and they know where a really good restaurant is down the road and that kind of thing. So that human touch is really really important still, and customers really value it. I, I, I say that um, 
one of the things that I had, one of the formative experiences I had was when I worked with the American Express, the Centurion program, and in my last full year of selling tickets, like one, person to person, I sold over $10 million of tickets in one year. Yeah, but then I said I never sold the ticket. It was always about the experience, and it was the fact that like I traveled all the time. I knew – the, I do the major D at Babo in New York. So if like you needed, if you were going to Broadway and you needed a reservation at Babo, I get you in the Babo and get you in the city of Lion King. And you know, I think that's always missed because the promise is technology is going to make everything easier, but easier doesn't mean better in the context of dealing with people. Better is better for people. And I think, what you're saying as far as the future goes is is not so much the tangible stuff because there's if it's a tangible task which is like I can check a box right any box then technology is going to be created already or in the near future that can handle that box checking it's the intangible stuff that you can't measure on a spreadsheet that's going to be vital to the future of anybody in the ticket ecosystem you're you're absolutely right it's about selling the experience I remember very early on when I started out answering phones uh, selling tickets. And I remember sitting next to this guy who'd been doing it for a long time. He was really good. And he spent a long time on the phone with this customer. And, uh, and, uh, he was saying, well, do you know what? He was selling the whole day. He was saying, you know, come and see Miss Saigon. You know, it's a brilliant thing. It's, it was, I think it was the couple, the person's anniversary. Take your wife along to see us. She'll love the show. And then at the end of the show, just come out the theater, walk across, walk across, walk across Waterloo bridge, uh, in the centre of London, and it, you've got the most fabulous views up and down the Thames. It's so romantic, uh, you know. And blimey, I was booking to go with him. You know the way he sold them, <laughs> the way he sold this thing is like, do you know what? I'm going to buy those tickets now. And you know that's something a computer can't do. You can't, it can't get into the emotions. It can't listen to what the customer's saying and really understand and respond in a human way. I mean, perhaps it will. Who knows what the future's going to hold? You know, perhaps it'll all be robots later on, but. At the moment, there's still a role for proper human interaction. And actually, if you think about it, that's what the live entertainment experience is about. It's a people. The reason why live entertainment continues to thrive in a world of digital downloads and everything like that is because people want the live experience, want the human interaction, and that can start when you're booking the event. Right, and that's I mean that's bared uh, you know that's not just you and me making an observation. That's really uh, borne out by the data, right? Which the data shows that people are willing to spend a tremendous amount of money on experiences, right? So that doesn't you know that means your show, that means dining out, that means uh, staying at nice hotels, that means traveling, that means whatever, right? And so. Which is, I guess, great because that's the gist of this podcast is that we're talking about how to market and sell experiences because. Really, the more downloads, the more digital, the more Facebooking and Twittering and all these things that we do, the more we feel like we need some kind of human connection. And I, I often feel that the, the, the misconnection, the mispoint in so much of the conversation in tickets and live events is that we forget that, right? Yeah, I 100%, 100% agree. We forget that we are talking – to people, you know, we, we take it for granted because we're lucky because we, we're in the in this business and we get to go to shows all the time. But actually, you know, what we are creating is we're creating memories and we're creating people's birthdays and anniversaries and first dates. And, you know, we we had Take Back Go On Sale last week. So a big UK pop act, very big. And we had people on the um, in tears on the phone when they realized they could get a ticket and they were going to see it. It meant so much to them. 
you know, and you know, because we've got hundreds of calls, thousands of calls coming in, and loads, thousands of bookings being done online. It's really cynical to be that. But when I heard that story of that call center operator saying this woman was in tears, she was so happy she got the. It kind of reminded me why I do this job. You know, it reminded me why we all do it because. You know, we are there to make, to connect people to their favorite artists and their experience and to, for them to create memories. And we're the kind of the gateway to that. And uh, that's a pretty special thing to be able to do. No, it, well, no, it's it's not just a pretty special thing. I mean, it's awesome. I mean, it, it's, um, you know, for me, I still, like, I keep a certain amount of distance from the University of Alabama, right, where I went to college, because I want to be able to experience that just as, like, like a kid almost, right? And it's the same way with, with Pearl Jam, right? Like you, everybody knows that like me and my Pearl Jam have it. It's like, but it's the same thing because it's like it moves me so much and it keeps me reminding me of what I'm doing for others because I can care less about maybe like, you know, Justin Bieber or like, you know, in back in the day, like a Hannah Montana or something. But that didn't, it, I'm not my market, right? And that's the thing we always have to keep in mind is that we aren't the market. You know, we, we, we are helping meet the market's needs. Our job is to satisfy a customer. It's not to change the customer or, or like teach them. It's to help them become happier. It's to help them, you know, fill something, you know, fill a need that they have. And, you know, and I think that's really like a powerful thing that we do. And we, uh, you know, and, you know, and we as an industry need to think about that more, you know, that our business is about serving customers rather than ourselves and you know as an industry not just ticketing but the whole of entertainment and sports and the way it works you know the way the tick the way that ticketing is is it's designed to be easy it's run for the benefit and the easiness uh and the convenience of the industry rather than the people who are actually buying our tickets you know it's it's something that drives me absolutely crazy you know some of the things that we do it's like, why are we deliberately upsetting our customers? Why are we making it so hard for them? Why are we uh, inconveniencing the people who are actually paying our wages? We're, we're doing this stuff because it makes our life easier, but it doesn't make their life easier. So we have, again, take that going on sale. When do we put it on sale? We put it on sale at 9.30 on Friday. Well, that's great, but everyone's at work. So everyone, we're inconveniencing all our customers because they have to put time off work or pretend to their boss that they are busy working when they're really on the internet or on the phone. Why are we, why are we doing that? Because it, it's easy for us. It works for us to do it on a Friday at 9.30 in the morning, not for our customers. You know, one of the biggest complaints we have at Star, I'm a director of Star, the Society of Ticket Agents and Retailers, uh, and one of uh, the, the highest complaints that we get coming to start when people are complaining about the, the ticketing industry is about uh, late dispatch of tickets. So the fact that people don't get their tickets until two weeks before the event or three weeks before the event when they book them six to nine months in advance. Mm -hmm. There's absolutely no reason why we shouldn't send tickets out in advance. But for our own convenience, because we haven't quite got it together because we don't quite know what the manifest is going to be or whether those seats are restricted view or someone hasn't quite decided what the billing is on the tickets and all sorts of reasons, we don't do it to the last minute. And that's inconveniencing our customer. And that's the thing that they complain most about. Yet it would be the simplest thing to fix. Yeah. And, it, and when you say something like that, too, it, it touches on why don't we put the customers first? But it, it also goes back to what we were talking about before about the experience, right? Because part of the thing we don't necessarily always recognize that we're selling when we're, when we're putting things in position for it be, to be simple for us is that we don't realize that the experience is not just what happens on the day of the show. It's everything that happens between 
first finding out about the show until the end of the show. It's the whole thing. So if you get that ticket and you have it, yes. Hey, but that's going to be on sale. That's when it starts. Yeah. And then you put the ticket on your refrigerator so that every time you see it, when you go in and get yourself a beer or like dinner, you see that, oh my God, I'm going in three weeks. I'm going to see this concert. It's going to be awesome. And so like the anticipation builds and that's part of the experience. That's part of your marketing. So you should want to get the tickets to the people as fast as you can. Yeah, but you know, but we, but we seem to just be hell bent on upsetting them, you know, and uh, ruining that enjoyment or the possible way. You're like, you know, but, uh, the thing that really, really irritates me about this business, and you know, this is like a turkey voting for uh, voting for Christmas, I know, but is booking fees. What a stupid thing, you know. What a big own goal. Why are we shooting ourselves in the foot by charging booking fees? Because it. it Pees off our customers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he likes to pay booking fees. Now, obviously, I know why we have booking fees. I know how much it costs for you know, to me to run my business. We have to earn money to, to invest in the technology and to employ all those people to do stuff. But surely, you know, we shouldn't be, you know, making our customers pay that. You know, I always kind of think, why do we pay a fee for ticketing? You know, why did we make the customers pay a fee for ticketing? You know, ticketing is part of the production cost. It's part of the cost of putting on an event. We don't charge a lighting fee. We don't say your ticket is £45, but, you know, to have lights to light up the thing, it's an extra, you know, dollar a ticket. We do that with ticketing. You know, ticketing is part of the cost of putting on an event. Yet we kind of, we shoot ourselves, you know. I mean, you can discuss it. Just put the price of the tickets up by ten dollars or whatever it is, and just say, "Here you are. There's no booking fees." That's how retail works. That's how every other retail industry works. They don't break it out. They don't tell the customer, uh, you know, that tin of beans that you're buying there actually costs, you know, twenty five cents. But we, with the shop uh, uh, markup, it's thirty five cents. People would get annoyed by that, but you know, they buy it at thirty five cents and they don't think about it. Right. It, it, it it drives me crazy. That stuff drives me crazy. Why do we why do we do that? Why do we put these barriers up to you know ruin people's experience? You know buying the ticket. So I'm excited about doing it, and now I'm really annoyed because a the ticket price is expensive, and then I've had to pay even more just for the privilege of buying it. Yeah. You know, it must be it must be the only industry where it's more expensive to do it online. <laughs> or, not necessarily more expensive, but you know, uh, not, certainly not cheaper. Yeah, it's know. certainly not cheaper. No, it's um, and typically uh, it, it is more expensive. Things you buy online, you kind of expect it to be cheaper or easier, you know, online. But actually, the ticketing industry, it's 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 a pain in the backside. <laughs> <laughs> and you have to pay for the privilege. You know, it's crazy. Are you? Crazy. <laughs> you obviously you you've spent enough time in America to know that like so if you're ranting about this then you obviously know that I could go off on an equally or more <laughs> outrageous but rant. But if I was listening to this podcast, I'd say, well, you know, if you recognise it, why don't you do something about it? And the but the problem is that we're kind of we're we're slaves to the machine, and actually the people who could do something about it are the people who who kind of set the rules. So the event organizers, the promoters, even the artists, uh, and uh, they're kind of removed from the customer experience. They're kind of removed from the customer. They don't have to deal with the complaints. They don't have to deal with the, with the customer ringing up and saying, why am I paying this? 
the, and, you know, why are my tickets out so late? Well, it's not our decision. Actually, we would send the tickets out tomorrow, but it's the further up the line, further removed from the customer who's making those decisions. So the ticketing ends up as the whipping boy. Yeah, and, and again, it's, um, I guess it comes down to a matter of incentives, right? And the incentives for them really don't align with the incentives of what the customer needs or the incentives of the customers. Their incentive is to, to keep the ticketing process as opaque as possible. It's to um, make it look like the tickets are as cheap as possible from at the onset as you know, and to um, you know, keep the problems at bay, which they do effectively. I mean, those three incentives they do very well because oh. you get called yelled at all day long. The uh, tickets look cheap. <laughs> and I have a lot of sympathy for promoters who, you know, have a lot of risk putting these events on. And do you know what? I mean, actually, ultimately, well, you know, I started off saying, you know, why do we make you know, why do we know our customers and blah, blah, blah. Do you know what? Ultimately, the customers are to blame for this. <laughs> you know, but it starts with them because, you know, in the music industry, they want free music. You know, they want to download free music. They don't want to pay for music. So now recording artists are facing a situation where they're not making the money that they, they need to out of recording music. So they can only make it out of live music. So they are trying to maximize their revenue out of their live performances. And so they're squeezing promoters harder and harder for deals. And the promoter needs to make his money somewhere. He's taking all the risk. And, you know, actually ticketing is where he can make that difference and make that, you know, make that, get that benefit from. So, Actually, you know, ultimately, the consumers wanting things for free or for cheap are ultimately to blame for having to pay for booking fees. Well, let me ask you this too, because when you say that you know it's the customer's fault in this regard, is that is that true though? Because what what it sounds like a lot of you know like customers want free music, they um, the promoters have taken a lot of risk, you know, all these these different things, or is it that the customer has been trained? to look for these things, right? It's like have, the customer has been looked, has been trained to wait for the last minute or to um, look for a bargain, right? Because maybe we rely too much on discounts sometimes or we don't necessarily do a great enough, a good enough job of uh, developing marketing channels that help us understand who our market is and be able to market to them effectively. Maybe, um, you know, what else? I'm talking about before that process. I'm talking yeah. about the reason why ticket prices are getting higher and higher is because, you know, promoters and, and artists need to get that money because they're not getting it through recorded music. They're not earning it through that way. So, but you're right. There, there, there's that element. And then there's also the element that you're talking about is that, you know, there is a danger that we train uh, people and you know, that's not exclusive to the ticketing world. That's exclusive to all retail is to actually let's, you know, let's look online and get the discount thing. You know, let's, let's find the cheaper thing. And that's human nature. Um, uh, yeah, uh, certainly ticketing. The other thing that ticketing gets wrong is, uh, in that regard, is it doesn't do what other industries do. It doesn't uh, it penalizes loyal customers, whereas other uh, other industries, say like the airline industry, they reward loyal customers. They reward people who come in early and book early and they get a discount. Whereas actually the way the entertainment industry works is the people who are the biggest fans, the people who want the tickets most, they're the ones who end up paying the more for it because tickets go on sale and promoter, artist, rights holder wants to maximize that uh, income and grab the money while it's there. 
Yeah, and, and what it ends up doing, too, you know, and I think you can see this um, happen pretty much in real time this year with Taylor Swift. It's like she did a great job of telling her customers that I think you're morons. I'm going to take your money, and then I'm going to, I guess for lack of a better term, and it's my podcast, so I can say this, I'm going to shit on you, and and then and you're going to like it. And I've that's been swearing, Dave. Yeah, we're fine. So I'll just mark it like uh, insufficient, <laughs> not you know, not safe for work or whatever. And, but that, I mean, that's basically what they did with with this verified fan thing. Is they were like, going, "You don't matter. We're going to gouge you, and then we're going to, and then we're going to just really like just treat you like dirt. Then you're going to like it or you're not. And we don't care because we have your money. And and it it, it, it really is. It's a, a great parallel because most of the time you want to treat your lo- most loyal customers the best because you know that you need them to keep coming back for more, which is like, it's really the, um, and I fall back on this example much too often is the, you know, the difference between Pearl Jam and so many other acts is because they do treat their, their fan, their best fans with respect. They get them, you know, they basically charge everybody the same thing for every ticket, but the best fan, you know, your fan, the fan club members get the best seats, right? And they get access to those seats earlier, right? And then they get discounts on merchandise, right? So you end up spending X and X and X more. Or you can do Taylor Swift and you can go like, oh, I'm going to sell you my best fan this ticket for $500 and I'm going to sell somebody else who's not as good of a fan the same ticket for 100 bucks, you know, because I can't fill the stadium. It's, it, it, it's crazy and it's cynical and, you know, we should, we should do better. You know, as, it, as I say, it comes back to what we were talking about. It's an industry that runs for the benefit of itself, not for the customers. Well, let me ask you this, too, because, I mean, this is like, you know, I know that I get sometimes either a good rap or a bad rap, depending on who you ask, for, like, always taking the sort of contrarian view of things, right? Which is, like, always, like, if if I assume X, I'm going to go, well, what if X isn't right, right? So if the industry always puts itself first as over the customers, you know, what can what can we do? And I don't think it's sustainable, I guess, is the, the premise of my question, is what can we do? You know, what kind of steps should we be taking or should we be doing to, to make sure the industry stays sustainable? Because, I mean, obviously live experiences are where people want to spend their time and their attention. Um, at least in the States, we've seen that we've burned a lot of the markets here and people are taking their entertainment dollars and moving them from concerts and sports and entertainment and going to, you know, a lot more like uh, craft breweries and restaurants and all these other things. Um, you know, what can we do? You know, to help make sure that like our attention is focused right on the customer. I think, um, I think, ultimately, it comes down to the rights holders, the artists, and you know, you're seeing moves now by some people who are, you know, some bands, some artists who are listening to their fans because actually, do you know what? Their fans have much more of a direct line into their favorite artists than they ever used to before through social media, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And, you know, you are seeing it now with artists who are refusing. Some artists are refusing to put high ticket prices, are refusing to allow high booking fees, are refusing to allow their tickets to be sold on the secondary market so that their fans aren't exploited. You know, but it's a brave, it's a brave artist that does that because they've taken a big risk. And it's only the big successful artists who can really make that difference. You know, Ed Sheeran is the perfect example of someone who has personally taken a stand, you know, against people being uh, charged way too much in the secondary market. And he said, I don't want my fans to be treated like this. I am setting the price for a reason. It might be a high price, but I don't want my 
fans to have to pay more than this price and I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that we're putting our customers first and that our customers, uh, my fans, uh, are getting well treated. And, uh, you know, I think what, you know, Ed Sheeran's done is is really brave to put his head above the parapet in that sense because there are other artists that don't. Yeah, I, and it's interesting because you, you, you brought up the secondary market. And, uh, you know, I say, you know, I use the Pearl Jamming model, but the Ed Sheeran model is, and, or Eric Church, I think in some cases, could, they all could be used as examples in this. Um, you know, it's, I want to price my tickets in a certain way. I want my fans to be treated in a certain way. And I'm going to take actions that are consistent with this. And by the same token, you also have artists who directly sell to the secondary Right. Correct. You ha- you have that. And then you also have, you know, and, and then you have the secondary market who feels that they should have free reign to do whatever they want to, which I don't necessarily agree with. Um, you know, it's. Um, well, you know, here's, yeah. here's when people say that to me, they don't, don't you believe in the free market? Yeah, of course I believe in the free market, but every free market has its rules. So, you know, what's the biggest free market in the world? It's the stock exchange. But you know what? There are rules around how the stock exchange works. You know, there are rules and regulations. So free market still needs to have rules and regulations in which to play by. So, yes, free market, but there are rules to make sure that it's a fair free market. And, you know, that's the important thing. Yeah, I, and, I, and I guess I, I was trying to figure out how to word it. But the thing is, is like, I'm not necessarily pro or anti the secondary market. I am pro get, you know, treating fans the right way and helping make sure that people get access to tickets and they, they have the opportunity to go see events. And listen, I I am just, I I am pro people being treated fairly and not being misled and not being ripped off. And, uh, you know, my inbox gets full of, people who have been misled and ripped off and you know down in our box offices every night we see people you know we've talked about the dream and the excitement and blah 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 and they get to their box office they get to that box office and they realize that they've either paid six times more than they need to or even worse they can't get in and seeing actually what that does to them and sure the, the free market is fantastic and it's really good and i don't have any objection to it but i do have an objection to it when it exploits people and it rips people off and uh you know it deceives people yeah and, and i think that's really um you know that's a lot of people's problem with the secondary market now and and it's largely driven by you know it, it seems to me right so I'll, I'll make that caveat so nobody comes back and says oh you know you're just but via gogo seems to be a bad actor and it seems to give the secondary market as a whole a blanket bad reputation because i know that from my experiences too is that you know sure there's the the upside right over selling tickets for above and beyond the face value but then there's also the ability for and you know how i feel about discounts there's also the the, the secondary market we do a very good job of clearing inventory at a lower than face value process price Correct. you know and I, and i think that there's you know the challenge for That's everybody. another example of how the entertainment industry should do things better because actually if they priced it correctly in the first place, that that wouldn't be necessary. Uh, or if it did its market research properly about actually do people want to come and see this product you know, or do people want to come and see this product in this size venue or in these towns. You know, the, there's, there's too much work. There's too much kind of uh, programming of entertainment and pricing of entertainment that's done on instinct rather than actually doing some proper market research like any normal business would do. You know, what is the market for this product? You know, where's, where should it go? What size house should it pay? And what should the price be? You know, 
the data's out there, but people still do this stuff on emotion. Uh, and uh, you know, the data's out there for people to use, but people aren't making the right decisions, which then creates that market where, oh my goodness, I've got a load of tickets that I can't sell, I'm gonna have to discount it, and you start spiral. Yeah, and, and, and that's a real issue that I have, a real concern, is that there's not enough development of market in, markets and artists. Because then you're trying to shoehorn an artist that should be playing a 1,500-seat state uh, arena or amphitheater, whatever the venue is, and you're shoehorning them into a 10,000-seat arena because you got, you have to fill those dates, right? you gotta keep got to keep the, the machine fed. And I feel like that's doing a harm and a disservice to the fans, to the industry, to the artist. And it leads to some of these bad practices, right? Because if you know that you have an artist who can only really legit would legitimately be able to fill a two thousand seater, and you're putting them in a five or ten thousand seater, so then you're gonna you, every incentive you have is to number one figure out a way to like get tickets up on Viagogo and work with the secondary market so I can like gouge those two thousand fan, uh, fans that might come right number two it's like people are going to have a bad experience number three i'm putting the venue in a bad a bad light because they're not going to be able to fill you know they're they're having to use all these resources on something that's no good um for for their venue right it, it's not appropriate in there it's um you know and this is one i don't know how to solve because it's like That's greed really, is just really what it is the really frustrating thing for ticketing companies, and, you know, and I've spoken to a lot of people in ticketing and ticketing companies about this, is, do you know what? If they came and asked us, when they were piling this stuff, if they came and asked the ticket, we've got the data. We can tell them. We know what a thing is going to sell, where it's going to sell, because we've got the data. But do you know what? It comes to us. Decisions have been made. Venues have been booked. Prices have been set. Go ahead and tell it, sell it. Whereas, actually, if they'd come, up, come to us, ask us to use our data, our insight, and our uh, analysis, we'd be able to give them a better, we'd be able to give them a clear steer as to actually this is the right thing to do or that, or have you thought about doing this? But too often, people are making decisions without understanding the data. Yeah. And that's, um, you know, that's a good use of data, right? Because it's, it's not necessarily like you're just using data like willy-nilly, right? Because some, so much data seems to get used, like pulled out of thin air, and it's like, oh, whatever. It's, you have a, you basically have created you, – you can, or sorry, let me back it up. You can use your data that you have to create a hypothesis that you can test. And the great thing about the, U, the UK and Europe versus the US is that you have much more flexibility in the way you handle – you use digital distribution and you use data to make decisions. And so to make these decisions in a vacuum is just absurd because – you can use data in the way that it should be. Or, and if I'm wrong, you tell me. Is Which is like, instead of trying to use it to make all my decisions, I want to use it to test a hypothesis that I have and to make a better decision based on the guess that I've made between the data I have and the historical knowledge that I have. Am I wrong or am I right? Uh, uh, you're, you're absolutely right. And, you know, the, uh, the, the way that kind of tours, it seems to me, are put together is, you know, an artist will go to his management or the management will go to the booking agent and say, I want to make this much money. 
and then they find a way to make that much money rather than actually working out whether there's that much money to be made in the first place. And and so let me ask you about this this pricing challenge because I know that you wrote a really great article on the stage that I'll try to remember to link to in the show notes that talked about breaking down prices. And I think that basically a lot of what we've talked about here so far has revolved around pricing and service. Um, And people don't understand what goes into pricing a lot. And, and then the other thing is, is that when you're pricing sort of in a vacuum, it seems to me that there's a, we're reaching a point where we're get where people are getting priced out of so many events and that we're reaching a point where the pricing model is just not sustainable. Um, what's your take on the nature of pricing and what we can do to maybe make it just so that, so that we don't price out entire generations of fans and customers because we are either making poor pricing decisions or we're just getting so aggressive with pricing that it, it, it's just it's not productive. Well, you know, it, it's such a fine balancing act because actually, do you know what? You know, it's expensive to put on big shows and actually the it, it becomes a kind of uh, a vicious circle because the more a ticket costs, the more the audience expects and the more uh, you have to kind of put on to justify that price and so the more expensive it gets. It becomes a, a, a vicious circus, uh, a vicious circle. Uh, you know, in that article you're talking about, uh, I was kind of trying to break down, you know, why tickets are expensive, you know, why they cost so much, you know, what the what the costs are. And actually, do you know what, the people who are, who are taking the risk who are putting the investment on and, you know, live entertainment is a huge risk. They're only taking a small pie. So there isn't, they're only taking a small part of that pie. So there isn't much scope and flexibility. Um, If I had the answer to it, I'd, I'd be doing it. But, you know, I, I suppose the, 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 the other thing to say is actually, do you know what? Live entertainment is still thriving. You know, I was talking in that article, I was talking about West Ham theatre prices. And do you know what? Audiences are going up every year, every year, every year, every year. Now, you might be right. It might be in the sector of people who can only afford it. But, you know, that's one, that's one area. That's top price West End theatre. That doesn't mean to say that nobody can go to the theatre. You know, it just means that. I don't know. I, I might choose to go to the Ivy restaurant, which is a, you know an expensive restaurant. But if I can't afford to go to it, didn't mean to say I can't eat because there's plenty of other alternatives. You know, just, there, there isn't a right to luxury. You know, and, and uh, you know, top price entertainment should be considered a luxury. I, I, you know, I really like a, a Lamborghini, but I can't afford one, so I've got you know, a cheaper car. You know, it doesn't mean to say I'm, I'm, it doesn't mean to say I can't go out and driving and enjoy the road. So I didn't, you know. So in the case of theatre, yeah, I might not be able to go to the West End, but actually I could go to my regional theatre down, you know, which is cheaper, or to that you know subsidised theatre. Um, so there are, are alternatives, and actually those should be the gateways into theatre. Not, you know, I think it's wrong to think the West End is the gateway into, or Broadway is the gateway into theatre. You know, it's it's the pinnacle, it's the top. You don't necessarily go straight into the biggest fanciest restaurant you probably learn how to eat in smaller restaurants like uh, a- like mcdonald's in victoria right <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah no that it, 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 that's, that's, an inter- that's a very nice joke <laughs> i mean but that's an interesting take on it because you know i, I and, and i i tend to agree especially in the states because there are so many touring versions of you know really great productions 
um, that, that make it through to towns you know, like D.C. or Miami or Fort Lauderdale or any of these places, and you get a chance to experience it. And I guess, though, even in those cases, uh, the pricing I, it can seem prohibitive, right? And, and I guess a better question that I would ask is, like, well, how do we continue to cultivate audiences and generate demand for the arts in a way that create makes it sustainable, makes it a part of people's lives. Because I think not just like from, you know, your or my, um, you know, livelihood, it's just like it adds to the culture, you know, and it, it, and it creates a better society, I think. Of course, absolutely. And, you know, and to be fair to theatre producers, I, I, they do try, uh, you know, they, they try really hard, you know, and there's a hell of a lot of tickets they sell, which are, Actually, loss-making tickets. You know, if you they, they would sell every ticket at that price, they would lose money. Uh, so you know, group rates, school rates. You know, often the third and fourth price tier tickets, they're, they're not actually making money on those tickets, but they are making it accessible. Things like day seats and lotteries and under twenty-four schemes. You know, they're all there to contribute to try and you know, um, you know, for producers, they've got that balance. You know, they've got the balance of trying to make sure that they're getting a return for their investors. But most of the producers I know do have, you know, a good altruistic, they do want to develop their audiences. They do recognize the need for that. But there, there is a financial reality that these things are expensive to put on. These big shows cost a lot of money. You want the best actors in them, you have to pay for them. You want the best lighting designers, you have to pay for them. You want the best sets, you have to pay for them. You know, this is an expensive thing. You want the best theaters, you have to pay for them. So, it, it, it is a it's a proper balance, and, and and why shouldn't people get paid for being at the pinnacle of their career, being the best lighting designer or stuff? You know, they should absolutely get rewarded for that. Uh, but I, I think we can get, you know, I think we can get too hung up on actually. We look at the top price of things, you know, that you know, God, there's a premium ticket that's going for two hundred dollars. Well, actually, on Broadway, it can be eight hundred dollars or something like that. But actually, do you know what? When you look down, it's only twenty tickets. It's only 20 tickets being sold at that price. If you look at the average ticket price, it's actually in comparison to other leisure activities, in comparison to going out for a meal, in comparison to going out with your friends for a drink, it's, it's, it's a comparable price. It's, it, it's what you spend. But people fixate on the very top price. But, you know, people really should look at average ticket price. The average ticket price, uh, average ticket price paid is what they should look at, not the average ticket price asked, but the average ticket price paid. And that really gives an indication of, do you know what? The average ticket price paid in the West End is under £50. Now, I don't know about you, but I can easily go out and spend £50 just <laughs> in the pub <laughs> evening. <laughs> I might have spent £50 on my walk this afternoon <laughs> while I was scrolling through Amazon. <laughs> so, do you know, it's not that much money. Yeah, it is expensive if you want to sit in the very best seats and blah, 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 and have the top night. And But the people, yeah, but the people who do that can afford to do it. Uh, and, and they know whether, and you know, there are a lot of people with a lot of money out there. And you know what? Let's take that money off them to make sure that those people who can't afford those cheaper tickets, uh, those expensive tickets, can have something a bit more affordable so that there are, you know, 25, 30 pound day seats for them to buy. You know, uh, I. So I kind of think it's not perfect, but I don't think it's as bad as sometimes we paint it to be. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. That's that's fair. I mean, and I'll tell you, like, to me, like, the three big things is, like, right, is always figuring out how to generate demand. 
you know, always pricing in a way that we can maximize the experience while we're also keeping in mind the revenue, right? I, I don't just go for the blind revenue because I could probably do the Taylor Swift model a lot. And then, the, you know, the third thing is always making sure that, um, you know, I've created some sort of renewable resource for people, right? So like, you know, it's not just one sale and you're gone. I want you to come be able to come back three or four times. Now in your role with the ticket factory, what are like the two or three biggest things you're focusing on now um, that either are like problematic or troublesome or that you are trying to solve or spending a lot of time on? Um, I suppose, I'll, I'll, you know, as you alluded to earlier, in the UK, it's, it's a pretty crowded market. You know, there's a lot of primary ticket agents out there. And do you know what? They all do a good service. We all provide a good service. If we didn't, we wouldn't be in business. So our focus is about actually what's the difference between good and great? How can we be, you know, what, how can we go that extra mile for our customers and our clients? What, how can that be our differential? So that's where we're focusing our minds at the moment. And that's all to do with... No, that's just to do with general services that we provide and the way we speak to people and the way we care for people. But it's also about in our technology. So we've got a lot of focus on technology and, and how we improve access to tickets and make the buying process easier and smoother. And how much of that uh, emphasis is put on the people versus the tech? Uh, uh, there's a huge emphasis on people. A huge emphasis on people. The, you know, the, the tech is there to facilitate the people in that sense. Um, uh, you know, you can't, yeah, uh, the, uh, it, it, it's, it's huge. Uh, I don't really know how else to ask that. I was going to say, I'm not, like, I'm not paying you to say that either. <laughs> we spend a lot of time talking about not only our people who, who, work at the ticket factory but also our clients and our customers we do spend a lot of time doing that and that informs our tech that informs how we work with our tech and what we do with our tech because what do our customers and clients want so that's why it's kind of difficult to answer that question because they're, they're kind of interlinked because the tech is there to make a to provide a better service for our customers and clients so the two are interlinked. you can't do one without the other right and and for you know just to share my personal opinion is you know the tech is there to support the people, just like you said, right? Because if you don't have the people, then the tech's pointless. And, 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 you know, and, and I think we can't probably repeat that enough because a lot of the tech innovation seem designed to solve a problem that doesn't exist. Um, you know, and the biggest thing is like, how do I get my people into the door? And once I get them in the door, how can I use all the tools at my advantage to make sure that they have a fantastic experience? You know, and, and that's sort of like, the gist of what I think our whole conversation has been about. Absolutely. I mean, you know, people should be, you know, it is that human experience and, and, and ticketing is still a labor heavy uh, business and kind of long may, it, long may it last, you know, let's you know, not forget that we are dealing with humans and so we should be human about it. It's like the Ritz Carlton thing. It's ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. Correct. Yes. Absolutely. Very good. Yeah. And I, so, Richard, where can I point people to, to find out more about you or to connect with you on the internet? Or in person, uh, well, whatever. I don't care. Whatever uh, you well, want. <laughs> I, I, I'm, on, I'm on Twitter. So Richard Howe, H-O-W-L-E uh, on Twitter. And kind of there you'll find my various ramblings 
about McDonald's and stuff like that. Yes, that's exactly right. Now we'll have to get Richard on the uh, the other Richard on the podcast to talk about McDonald's as well. <laughs> well, Richard, thanks so much for taking time out of your night. Uh, hey, it's awesome to talk to you as always. Good stuff. Thank you. Okay. Once again, I'd like to thank my guest, Richard Howell from the Ticket Factory, for coming on the Business Fun Podcast. As always, if you'd like to find out what I'm up to, you can visit my website. It's www.davewakeman.com. There you'll find uh, all the stuff I'm up to. You'll find my blog where I talk daily about creating markets, growing markets, uh, reinventing your organization, uh, marketing and selling more effectively. You can also follow me on Twitter. Uh, that's at davidwakeman.com. Someone has had this at Dave Wakeman tag for many, many, many years and has it tweeted since 2014, I believe. So if you know this guy, get me the, get me the Twitter handle. Uh, I'd also love it if you connect with me on LinkedIn. You can also uh, email me. It's my name, Dave, at DaveWakeman.com. Please send me your questions, your comments, your thoughts, your ideas, your suggestions for guests. Um, I love to hear all your feedback. And then finally, if you like what I'm doing with the podcast, I'd love it if you'd subscribe. Find me on Stitcher and iTunes and all of those podcast platforms. Subscribe, and if you're so inclined, leave a review. These things help elevate the podcast um, and get it in front of more people so that they can learn and enjoy the podcast as much as you do. Um, And until next time, take care, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.